Every woman needs to be the CEO of her life. She needs to have a seat at the table and create a seat at the table for others. There is power when women gather. When one woman is at the table, she can pull up another seat at the table for others to join. But I'm not talking about any table. I'm talking about the table where decisions are made, the decisions that affect our careers, lives, family, communities, and most importantly, ourselves. Every woman has a C-suite in her life. Either she is sitting at the table or in the lobby trying to get in. It's time to be at the head of the table where you are the best decision to be made. Your life has a C-suite where you make the decisions to create the life you desire and deserve. I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes and I welcome you to join me in the C-suite. Conversations from the C-suite, the girlfriend's guide to being a CEO. Whether you report to a CEO or you are the CEO of your own company, you are always the CEO of you. But guess what? Guess what, girlfriend? It's time. It's time to join the conversation. It's time to make the CEO moves and move yourself to the head of the table where you are the CEO of you. Welcome to Conversations from the C-Suite, the girlfriend's guide to being a CEO. I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, your host and CEO of C-Suite Women's Network, where I help women and a few good men to be the CEO of their lives. And I am so very excited to launch this new series or the new season of conversations from the C-suite. We have 25 prior episodes where we talked to women in various areas of their lives about the things that help us to show up and be at the table. We talked about mental wellness. We talked about relationships and we talked about getting that bag, the money, right? Our finances. All of these things help us to be at the table. And every woman needs to be the CEO of her, of her life, of her career, her family, and beyond. She needs to have a seat at the table. And the thing is, when a woman gets a seat at the table, she creates the opportunity for another woman to have a seat at the table. So Conversations from the C-Suite is a power-packed hour that provides women a platform to talk about the things that really matter to us because we know that life doesn't end when we leave the office. As a matter of fact, that's when life just begins. So we want women to not just have great conversations, but compel women to elevate their mindsets and take actions. Because CEOs don't just wait for great things to happen. They make great things happen. Now, why the C-suite? You know, the C-suite is typically used to describe that 
area of the organization where all the decisions are made is where the chiefs are, the CEO, the CFO, and all them people, right? Well, the CEO of your life is where you are in charge. You make the decisions to create the life you desire and deserve. And on your journey to the C-suite, and it is a journey, meaning it never really truly ends. It's an evolution. You can be a CEO on the rise. You're just getting started. You may be a CEO on the move. You've been at this game for a while, but you want to take it to a higher level. And you may have arrived in your C-suite, but even a CEO continues to evolve. You never truly get to the end, it's all about continuing the journey and continuing that evolution. So here in conversations from the C-suite, in this C-suite, we want you to have powerful conversations and again, not just talk about it, but be about it. So we want you to make those CEO moves. We want you to feel something. We want you to learn something, but most of all, we want you to do something. It's all about the actions you take. So when you make those CEO moves, that's not just something random. We're not just putting CEO moves on a t-shirt. We are making CEO moves. We are creating our circles of influence. You can't get to the C-suite and stay there by yourself. You have to educate and empower yourself for elevation. It's all about learning and then operationalizing what you learn to optimize your outcome. And that's a, that's a mouthful, but it's really important. So make those CEO moves, create your circle of influence, educate and empower yourself for elevation and operationalize what you learn so you can optimize your outcome. So this is, I'm really excited about this new series because in the previous episodes, we had basically, you know, three areas that we talked about over the course of those 25 episodes. Well, we are now embarking upon what I call your Living Your Life in the And series. And if you tuned in to the previous episode where I introduced this, you know that living life in the and means that you're not choosing between being this or that, being a wife or a mother or a career woman or a friend or a lover, but you embrace life in the and and you recognize that you can have all of those things. It just takes a little planning. It takes making those CEO moves, but it's all about making the, the decisions to create your life in the and, meaning how do you get to all the things that you want rather than living your life in the or where you limit yourself to just this or that. So we want you to operate your life in the and. And in that series, in the previous episode, you also heard me talk about kind of how all of this got started when Years ago, not, not that long ago, but a few years ago when I was at my Harvard Law School celebration of Black alumni and heard a very poignant testimony, I'll call it, by one of my law school colleagues, Katrina Campbell, and where she talked about what I eventually articulated as this trying to find, you know, living life in the end where 
She was trying to fit into the different spaces of her life. And so we're going to actually get a chance to hear from the woman who kind of inspired all of this and, and really have this conversation. So the living life in the end is a quest ultimately to find out how women can have it all. Over the course of this series, my goal, and I will get there, is to interview 100 women and ask them the questions that help us all to figure out how do we get it all. And one of the things I just want to note, having it all means something different for every woman. There is no one size fits all and all, but all of us can live our lives in the end and achieve our all. So I'm really excited and want to go ahead and move into this great conversation because we want women, I want women especially, to be the CEOs on all the spectrums of their life, whether they are housewife, an executive, a professional, or out there in the workforce, every woman is a CEO. So whether you report to the CEO or you are the CEO of your own business, you are always the CEO of you. So with that in mind, I want to again welcome you to the C-suite where we are going to make those CEO moves to create the life we desire and deserve and to commit to living our lives in the end. So are you ready? I hope you're ready because you know this is a great conversation. A lot of great conversations happen over a glass of wine. I've got mine. I hope you have yours and we want to make sure that we have a great time. So Without any further ado, I'm going to bring to the C-suite, to the stage, to the mic, my dear friend, my colleague from law school, Katrina Campbell. And I'm going to share just a little bit about you because she is a great CEO. So Katrina Campbell is the ethics advisor for the UN Population Fund. She's an expert on ethics and compliance and employment law. She's practiced employment law, litigated court cases, and advised organizations regarding employment and ethics practices for more than 20 years. She joined the United Nations Ethics Office in 2012 in New York as an ethics officer and the United Nations Population Fund in 2014. In her role as the chief ethics officer, she's responsible for ethics advice, ethics training, and outreach ethics standard setting and for, and the financial disclosure program. She travels worldwide to engage with her colleagues across the globe. <laughs> Prior to joining the United Nations, she was vice president for training and education at Navix Global, an ethics and compliance consulting firm and associate counsel for benefits law at AXA, Equitable Life Insurance Company, and a counsel on employment law at Capital One Financial Corporation. So she has truly been in the C-suites of companies and is in the C-suite of her life. She's a graduate of Hampton University and, of course, Harvard Law School, which is where we met. And she has two great children and a terrible tennis game and, as I understand, a mean fried chicken game. <laughs> So I am 
I'm so pleased to bring to the C-suite and to invite you to help us know how you make CEO moves. And, you, and for those of you who are joining us for the first time, when we bring somebody to the stage, we want them to tell us how they make CEO moves, give us the who, the what, and the why. So I've shared with her, uh, her bio, but Katrina, we want to know who is the real Katrina Campbell? <laughs> what do you really do? And why do you make CEO moves? Dr. Stephanie Barnes, <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> You've always been amazing. Um, and I'm really thrilled to be part of what you are doing. So, you know, one of the things that I can say is, is you know, authentic about me is that I'm real all the time. And so when we met way back in the 90s, you will find that I'm the same person today that I probably was then um, and, and every year since then. But, but it's one of the things that I really, really have come to appreciate about myself and about my life. And this has taken a really long time to get to this point. Um, I've always been comfortable in my own skin, mm -hmm. but I think trying to take on new roles, new layers, new children, new husbands, new mm -hmm. jobs, really has made me question that sometimes. So mm -hmm. um, what I've done, I think, is finally come back to remembering who I am mm -hmm. and, and, and appreciating it. I think it's not just about remembering it and just sort of knowing myself, but it's also that I finally have just come to appreciate who I am. Mm -hmm. I know what matters. I know what doesn't matter. And I know I'll figure it out, you know, with the help of, of God, my friends and my family and, mm -hmm. you know, and my coworkers even. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's just good to kind of be in that place. I think being in your forties helps, yeah. <laughs> um, So <laughs> you know, but that's, I would say, who am I? Um, I remember I'm that home girl, right? Mm -hmm. I'm from Maryland. I, I love being home again because it reminds me who I am. Um, but I'm also that Harvard Law School, Hampton University graduate. Mm -hmm who can walk into my own C-suite, you know, at work mm -hmm. or, or, you know, someone else's and really be able to engage with anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I just said to someone the other day, I think I said to my boyfriend, you know, I can walk into a room and engage with anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been a really, a really, um, a big help to me, not only in my career, but mm -hmm. at home with friends, with, with anyone. It's nice to be able to walk into a room and feel like I can handle this. Mm -hmm. So why do you make the CEO moves that you make? Why, why have you decided at this point, you know, in your, in your forties to, <laughs> to be yourself and to, and, and, you know, many of the, the, the things that the career choices that you've made, you know, what, what, what has put you on, on that path? Wow. <laughs> you know why I do it? Um, frankly, because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's meaningful and it's fun. Um, at this point in life, it's not worth it to do things that are not meaningful, are not enjoyable. Um, I mean, you know, I've never been one to be terribly concerned about how much money I make. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that the cliche is true, which is if you're doing something that you love, if you're living a life that you enjoy, the money will come. Mm -hmm. You know, if you prepare yourself and, and I feel like I've been prepared, thank goodness, because of the the generosity and oversight of my own family, my father in particular, mm -hmm. um, I was able to get the education I needed. So that prepared me to take on roles that I enjoy. I remember when I was at Navex Global 
and I had done a project for uh, the International Monetary Fund at the time. It's a public project, so I can mm -hmm. speak of it. And mm -hmm. after that, some time went by, and I got an opportunity to go and work for the United Nations. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I don't come from that family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not like a family of diplomats, you know, and State right. Department people who travel the world and, you know, go work for the UN. And, and so when the opportunity came up, I was like, who? <laughs> who who works for the UN but who turns down the United Nations right. you know if you have an opportunity as they say to work for world peace um mm -hmm. you don't you don't say no to that yeah. and and so why do I do it because it seemed fun and more importantly there it seemed meaningful right mm -hmm. it's you you just have to say sometimes okay I had no idea that this would come my way mm -hmm. but okay let's see where this goes and it's been one of the best decisions of my life and so, you know, I'm just thrilled to be able to do that. But at the same time, um, I could say the same thing about why did I have children? <laughs> you know, because they're meaningful and they're fun. Yeah. Um, it's, sometimes. It's, sometimes. There are a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have teenagers. And so, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a 17-year-old and an 8-year-old. Oh, and, yes. and both of those children came about in times when I was going, me and children? I don't know. Yeah. But what would I do without those children today? I, I mean, none of, you know, meaningful. My life is meaningful because of my children. You mm -hmm. know, my job is meaningful, right? But, mm -hmm. but I really do look for that kind of experience mm -hmm. in life. And I'm coming to the point now, I'm not saying I'm there, yeah. but I'm coming to that point where I can tell the difference up front. Is something going to matter? or is something really not worth my own time and attention? And I'm happy to be in that place. Because you know, you've know you hit on so many nuggets. I had to, because even though it's supposed to be a conversation, I was like, oh my God, I don't want to forget that. Right. I don't want to forget that. But, uh, you know, because I'm glad you mentioned the UN, because one of the first things I wanted to ask before we got into, uh, you know, that, that moment and kind of talk about that is, you know, working for the UN. Because one of the things that, that you mentioned that you were, were talking about, you know, deciding to do that is not limiting yourself because it's not quote what you've done before or it's it's an opportunity that you may not have thought, you know, initially would have been for you, but when the opportunity presented itself, you took it. And and that's just a a sentiment. And something that I just really wanted to take a moment to just highlight how important it is for us as women, especially, especially when we have children, because, you know, a lot of, um, I remember I was in the airport a couple of years back, traveling back from a conference and had a layover and I decided to give me a little glass of wine. Y'all will see I love wine. But anyway, decided to give me a little glass of wine between before my flight took off and ended up sitting next to an HR executive, a woman HR executive who was responsible for the national CEO searches for the affiliates of her, her organization. And one of the things that she mentioned, uh, we talked about a whole bunch of things, her experiences with women negotiating or not for themselves. But one of the things that struck me the most was she mentioned that in her efforts to have more women CEO candidates, that a lot of women would not try for new positions because they didn't want to disrupt their families or, or what they perceived as a disruption 
to their family or they didn't want to, to move or they didn't want to um, negatively, not necessarily negatively affect, but just to affect their, their husband's careers. But the point being that men would be, if they were given a great opportunity, wouldn't really think twice, even though, of course, there's a lot of consideration that goes into that about, hey, I'm going to go for it. Whereas women wouldn't even go for it if they perceive that this is how some somehow not the right thing to do or what about my family and all of that. But um, when you talked about that, I, that it, it really made me think of how we put ourselves in the or we limit ourselves when we don't even just even go for the opportunities because we decide, you know, before it even happens that, you know, this is not going to be good for us. But yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I've done that to myself. I mm -hmm. think that if I were not living in the New York area, I live in New Jersey, mm -hmm. at the time that the UN opportunity came up, I myself might have said, well, I don't know, what, you know, mm -hmm. what about the family? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I lived here, but I experienced mm -hmm. that almost every time I travel. For mm -hmm. a long time, I mean, when I was married, I'm, not, I'm divorced now, mm -hmm. in part, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, every time you take a trip and it's two weeks or it's a week and you're going to Africa and you're going mm -hmm. to Asia, I have people who say, Ooh, I mean, you know, is this safe over there? Well, mm -hmm. you know what? I have a hundred colleagues in that country who are operating there. I have a mm -hmm. thousand colleagues there. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say, well, I have to be safe because my children need me. What right. about my colleagues whose children need them? But right. they choose to be in those locations. So every time I would take a trip, I have had people asking me, are you sure? Mm -hmm. Who's going to take care of your children while you're gone? Mm -hmm. As if they didn't have fathers. Right. Who are perfectly <laughs> capable of, you know, the children right. don't starve while, right. you know, they don't live in the streets while you're traveling, you know, if you're mom. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, Stephanie, every time I got on a plane to go somewhere, particularly overseas, mm -hmm. I would get that question. And, you know, it definitely brought the or feeling back to me. Mm -hmm. um, I've always lived with that, I think. Um, in other ways too, but certainly as a mother, mm -hmm. um, that kind of questioning of you, you know, people questioning me, but then yeah. also me questioning myself. Right. You know, right. is this okay? Nobody around me seems to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. How, you know, how? But one thing that I do appreciate about being at the UN is that you do meet people mm -hmm. who are doing this. I meet women who, when I, who, when I say stereotypically, where are your children? you know yeah. <laughs> who, who am I to be saying that right yeah. I do too. they say the children are at home with my mother mm -hmm. the children at home and ho at home could be back in Belgium mm -hmm. you know and so mm -hmm. I'm reminded that this is not the only way you know the fact that someone says to me oh you know well you should be home with your kids or what does your husband do while you're gone Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that's one way. And I applaud women who have decided that that's the way that they need to live their mm -hmm. lives. But it's not the only way. Right. And so what I've decided for me, again, being authentic and really listening to myself and knowing what's good for me and my family is, no, I can actually do that. And, and, mm -hmm. and I want to just say one thing, too. It's not just about me. But I will tell you, my children have learned resilience. Mm -hmm. They have learned how to make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Mm -hmm. You know, they have learned how to get up and do some things for themselves because they know that mommy goes away and mommy comes home, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but mommy goes away. Yeah. Right. You know? And mommy also goes away to hang out with her girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. sometimes kids can go and sometimes they can't. Yes.
because you know you know you you talk about you know the not the only way and that's you know one of the resonating messages that i hope to hear and to show throughout this series is you know there's not one way because a lot of times you know we do it to ourselves we do it to each other the media does it to us because as i shared in the previous episode you know in doing research about how women leaders are depicted in the media you know there were a lot of themes that came up that tr that portrayed the successful career woman as a failure at home it was just kind of you know that that's the messaging that you can't have at all if you're great at work that means your home life is suffering and then a lot of times you would see the opposite great at home but she's unfulfilled in her career and beyond so you know that's that's one of the things that i i hope we all learn from this and and i'm i'm hearing even in the guests that uh will appear or or thinking about rather in the guests that i've invited to appear in future episodes as well as you know even this conversation is there's not one way you know you don't have to um, you know, because your model may not work for me. How you live your life, I may try it and be like, oh my God, this is just, this is not making me happy. Whereas a woman who just decides, you know, I don't want to do anything outside of the home, she's perfectly happy there. But the point is, there's not just one way. And we've got to be okay with that for ourselves, but we've also got to let other women be okay with it for them. That's, I, I completely agree. And there's not necessarily one way for you for your whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to my mother the other day. Um, I lost my sister when when she was 35 mm -hmm. uh, several years ago. Mm -hmm. And my mother and I were, you know, it was very obviously a very tragic time. Mm -hmm. But we were reflecting back on that time. And my mother was saying that there were only two years. And this is my mother, that there were only two years since she has been working mm -hmm. that she has not worked. Mm -hmm. And she said one year was when she had me mm -hmm. and one year was when my sister died. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my goodness, you didn't work then? But mm -hmm. I think about how life happens to us. Mm -hmm. And for my mother, again, who had been working her whole life since she was 13 or 14 years old, mm -hmm. she decided, no, this year I need to do for me. This mm -hmm. year I need to take it down, deal with what I have to deal with, and then go back to work. And yet mm -hmm. she also is a person who, at a certain age, she would kill me if I say how old she is, <laughs> um, well beyond retirement age is still working full time. Right. So for her, she's decided that her life means she wants to work as much as she possibly can, even though she comes from an era when people may have said, oh, you should be home with your children. Mm -hmm. For me, I love working. I don't mm -hmm. know what I would do. If, <laughs> if you put me at home all day with my children, they would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they would be they would be like somebody please send my mother back to work yes <laughs> there is no way that yeah. i could be at home all the time but yes i still feel that tension i still run for the train you mm -hmm. know if you if you go into new york penn station any given day you see so many people running full stop like at yeah. like olympic athletes yeah why because daycare is closing and they have to get back <laughs> get, you know get back right <laughs> <laughs> right. Said, talk about living life in the and the yeah. and is happening in new york penn station right, so, right, you know, right but but i but it's just i don't know it, it's it is so important to know i think and to feel exactly what you said that my choice of my life and my lifestyle 
is good for me when it's mm -hmm. good for me. Mm -hmm. But that might mean it's not good for you. We mm -hmm. could both go to the same schools, have the same pedigree, come from the same town, and have completely different lives. Right, right. right. I'm okay. I finally learned to be okay with that and not to go, oh, what's she doing over there? Oh, what's mm -hmm. he doing over there? Do yeah. I have to do that too? Yes, yes. Well, you know, you you spoke about the tension, and of course, that's kind of all how all of this got started. Now, I shared a little bit about this in in the previous episode about you know when we were at the celebration of black alumni what was that 2016 2016 and there was a breakfast um it was either sunday morning or saturday morning but there was a breakfast seminar and the topic uh, ostensibly was around balance and um the the speaker if i if i recall correctly, it was a male speaker and i'm forgetting who the male speaker was but he made a statement something to the effect of there is no balance or or, or why are we having this conversation and, and um, about, you know, I think his point was, you know, that we were trying to create something that, that truly didn't exist and we just needed to just chill out. Uh, but at some point after kind of he had his opening remarks, you stood up and it was like one of those, <laughs> one of those moments where the, the room stood still. You may as well have had the, the lighting behind you and the, the wind machine, but, <laughs> but you, <laughs> you stood up and, you know, I could tell, I could feel the sincerity in your voice when you made a comment about trying to figure out where you were supposed to be. And you made a, a comment, something to the effect of, you know, when you were at work, you felt that you should have been at home. And when you were at home, you felt you should have been at work. And the fact that when you got home, everyone else had already been there and you feeling like you should have gotten there before they did. But just kind of this tension in, in trying to figure out where you're supposed to be as a wife, as a mother, as a career woman and not really feeling that wherever you were was where you should be because you were supposed to be somewhere else. Oh, and um, I wanted to kind of go back to that conversation and, and, and first just say, first of all, thank you for having the courage to stand because all the women in the room was like a collective, you know, it was just like, we felt you, we were with you and we were like, you know, why couldn't, you know, we have expressed it in that way. So I want to say thank you, first of all. But also to just ask, you know, what made you decide on that day, I'm going to express this because all of us feel it or a version of it at some point. But you actually had the courage to say, this is how I feel. And I don't really know, you know, it wasn't that you didn't get up and say, and, and I got it all figured out, <laughs> but it was just like, kind of like, you know, what do I do with this feeling? Yeah, it, it, thinking about that, it almost brings me to tears because I think that day, I almost started crying right standing up mm -hmm. there. What I think made me say that then was one, well, let me put it this way. The room was a safe place because mm -hmm. these were fellow classmates, mm -hmm. African-American alumni of Harvard Law School. But at the same time, this was a place where I think this issue was clearly present. Mm -hmm. Everyone was coming in from, you know, we couldn't get there till Saturday. I couldn't get there till Friday. Mm -hmm. 
because I have this job and that thing. So I knew we were all feeling this, or at least that we were experiencing it. And I felt comfortable being able to raise it. But I was also really nervous because this is one of the most high powered, most, uh, you know, hardworking, <laughs> yeah. busy groups of people I've ever met. And they have been since, you know, certainly since I was in school. So I think on the one hand, I felt like this is a safe place. But on the other hand, I felt like, ooh, but this is a real issue in this room. Yeah. Um, and actually I looked across the room at one of our other classmates who I remembered had taken the decision in law school that law school was not for her. And I think in that day I said something to her in particular um, because I had always been a little resentful and I had to admit that to Mm -hmm. say, you know, gosh, like, how's she going to do all this law school stuff and go be a housewife? Yeah. You know, go do something, not law. Right. And and it was just weird to me. And I finally got it, which is that she had to be her authentic self. Right. And and she's one of the happiest, most engaged uh-huh. people. She's married to another classmate of ours who's wonderful. They have the most wonderful family. And I went, oh, you know, I get it. But mm-hmm. for me, I think in that moment, especially in that moment in 2016, mm-hmm. I was feeling like I'm not working hard enough. I'm not mothering hard enough. I'm not wifing hard enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not daughtering hard enough. I'm not friending hard enough. And I'm not me hard enough. Yeah. And and it's just, it was like, something's got to give. Right. <laughs> what is going, what is this? And I just, I think that was an outlet for me. You said it was a collective sigh from everyone else. Yeah, it was but just like, me, I remember when I sat down, I was sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, almost, yeah, you know, wiped away tears. Yeah. And, but it was so encouraging too, because mm-hmm. to have that collective response of, wow, we, we, us too, you know, right. um, was just great. Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned this con the concept rather of safe space and, and, you know, when I envisioned conversations from the C-suite, one of the, uh, or an impetus behind it was creating a safe space mm-hmm. to talk about things that we're all thinking about, but perhaps don't know where to go or, or have not yet developed the courage to say, or just need to hear somebody else say it, you know, and, but, you know, that concept of safe space and indeed having that is so important for women. And, you know, when I think about the C-suite, the literal boardroom, you know, it's a safe space, meaning a lot of confidential conversations, confidential decisions are made there, but it can also be a, I won't say dangerous, dangerous is probably too, too much of a word, but although it could be, but it's also a space where you, a, a place of vulnerability, yeah. okay, because when a CEO stands up before the board to bring an idea, to, to bring a project forward or to get approval of something, there is a certain level of vulnerability that he or she has to accept in that they may not receive the message, they may reject it, he, may, he or she may be subject to greater scrutiny. I mean, you know, there's, there's a, a sense of vulnerability, but if they don't embrace the vulnerability, they never get the opportunity. And I think a lot of times we <clears throat> are in the boardrooms of our lives and we're not willing to accept that vulnerability truly is, is empowering. Absolutely. And we don't say what's on our minds. We don't take the chance. We don't take the risk. And vulnerability is truly 
freeing. And you, know, you had to be vulnerable to stand up even in that safe space to share what you were thinking. Oh, completely. I mean, at work, that's to me, it's so obviously true and yet hardly ever put into practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I myself have to present to our own board. Mm -hmm. um, I have to present an annual report to our board and our board, executive board consists of member states, countries. Mm -hmm. So it's not just sort of, I mean, it's individuals, but it's countries that I'm talking to. Right. Who have the decision to make whether to give us money or not. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I've learned and I've decided, again, authenticity is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And we can't be authentic without being vulnerable. Right. So there are, there are times when I go to the board or in my report, I have to say what I didn't get done, mm -hmm. what I think needs to be done, what I'm not sure about, the concerns I have. But, but that's showing, well, I'm not, I'm not perfect. And I think at okay. home, you know, being the CEO of my life, I have to say the same thing. You know, there are, can my children do three activities a piece? No, they cannot, because I will not be home to get you to that class. Right. That's just how it is. Right. But can I help you with your homework? Yes. Right. Unless it's calculus and I'm not doing calculus. So yeah. you know, my <laughs> daughter has, she's on her own with that. Yeah. But, you know, it's like you have to accept. And I, and I think that's, it's a really, really important point. You mm -hmm. have to accept, or let me say for me, I have to accept that I can have, I can't have it all. I can't have all of it all, but mm -hmm. I can have some of each area that's important to me, right? Yeah. I can do the things I need to do with my children, but it means I can't do them all. You yeah. know, I have to be, like you said, vulnerable enough to accept that I'm not going to be perfect, that everything mm -hmm. is not going to be beautiful all the time. Yeah. And okay, you know, I, I, can I tell you a little story, uh, just a quick story? Sure. Um, it was funny. And maybe this was a little bit before that, that reunion. Um, I cut off my hair. Mm -hmm. I did the big chop, went natural. And a very important person in my life at the time, I'll just say, was literally going, what are you doing? I mean, why would you do that? And, you know, wanted me to have straight hair. Yeah, oh, the God. person who, yeah. The person who wanted me to do this was my daughter mm -hmm. who herself was natural. Mm -hmm. And, and frankly, her stepmother, Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My ex-husband's wife said, mm -hmm. you should do it. But it was such a vulnerable moment for me because mm -hmm. one of the things I don't do a whole lot of, I don't spend a lot of time on makeup and all of that. Mm -hmm. That's not me, but I do like hair. Mm -hmm. And so for a good six months, I was very, very vulnerable. Just about that one little silly thing. Mm -hmm. Talk about being high powered and law school yeah. and all of that. But you know, when you look in the mirror, that's your time when you're most vulnerable. Yes. But okay. out of that, I have had such strength, such moments when people I don't even know make a connection with me by mm -hmm. saying, I love what you're doing with your hair. How mm -hmm. do you do that? And so I think in being vulnerable, just mm -hmm. those two examples, even with something as silly as hair or something mm -hmm. as important as your board presentation, mm -hmm. you find, and I've certainly found that it's in those moments when I'm willing to go there. Mm -hmm that I have the most growth and the mm -hmm. most connection and the, you know, just those moments of walking out like, wow, okay, all right, you know, we can do this. And right. so, yeah, it, but if I'm so busy trying to be strong and, and, you know, show off, and there are days when I have to go out there with the armor on. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, oh yes. But sometimes you gotta take the armor off. Right. And, you know, right. and just be yourself. Right, because you know, I always uh, think about 
you know, how journeys happen. And, and, you know, when I came to the celebration of Black Law alumni in 2016, you know, it was at a very pivotal time in my life. Uh, and as, as I shared with you, it just so happened that that was a week before my marriage of 21 years ended for the second time. I can do a whole story on that. But anyway, we won't, we won't get into all of that. But I was in a very pensive space. And, and you touched on, you know, the intimidation of that room. Because I don't know if Kenneth Chenault had made it there yet. I think he was perhaps on the next panel. He, uh, he wasn't on that panel and he may or may not have been in the room at the time, but you know, that was the, he was the next panel. And I remember sitting my little self from Mississippi at that point, little, uh, I'd been in, was in Alabama and like, you know, there's Kenneth Chenault, you know, the CEO of American Express, my class, you know, my law school colleague and you know, here I am with my little, <laughs> you know, we do that to ourselves. And I, yes, and I remember when I came to see in 2000, no, 2012. 12. 12. Yeah, 2012. Well, 2011 it was. Yeah, 2011. You're correct. 2011, because I, I turned I, I turned 39. I remember because it was it's always my birthday weekend. Uh, because uh, but I remember when I came the first time, my whole outlook I, and, and how I approached intimidation Oh, and uh, I love there's so much power in that comparison is the thief of joy. And, you know, I remember the comparison thing I did the first time and I just felt really bad about myself. And, you know, because I was just at that point, let's say I was a chief compliance officer for a health system in Mississippi. So that's all I was. Right. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I was here in the room with women and men, but particularly more so the women, you know, who were general counsel at this big company, CEO of this big company, at the UN, you know, yeah. but you know, just all of these things and kind of questioning my, my place, right? And then I came back in 2016, more uh, uh, on the path of being comfortable with my path and accepting of my choices and looked through a lens of inspiration rather than the outblown uh, lens of intimidation the first right. time. But, you know, I think that we all experience that, um, what do I want to call it? that dynamic. Am I good enough? What does good enough mean? And what is the relation? Because, you know, to, to have good and better and best and excellent, it's, it's got to be relative, right? So. That's right. Are we comparing, is the, what do you call it, the control, I'm, I'm, I'm not using the right scientific terms, but anyway, the thing you're comparing yourself to, right. <laughs> is right. it the right, is it the right medium, you know, and, you know, when you talked about, you know, being intimidated in that room, and then, like, your, your decision with your head, we can have a whole episode on hair, because, sure you know, me and my mom and dad in meeting about come to blows mm. over my head. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, Whew. all right, so, your hair. <laughs> <laughs> my hair, right, yes, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> so anyway, uh, but, you know, far too often, we have this unrealistic 
model woman out there. And I don't think she exists. And that's one of the myths I hope to dispel over the course of this is there is, there is not this perfect woman. And there may be the woman who is an executive and her kids are in uh, three different things and they're perfect and they play the violin and speak five languages. And then, you know, you look at your child. You drop piano after the first year. Right, right. You know, so there are women who are able to achieve these things, but they're like ducks on the water. You see this. When they... <laughs> like this under the, the bottom. That's right. So I just wanted to kind of set that up for the for the whole discussion around this whole, you know, comparison is the thief of joy and how we can't require ourselves to be perfect. And we must be realistic and understanding that the woman or women we're comparing ourselves to are not perfect. Agreed. Agreed. I will tell you, I used to walk around saying, you know, when Barack Obama became president, I said, so in five years, I'm supposed to be president. I know. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Or, or in seven years, I'm supposed to be first lady. Right. right. Because right. There he was five years, you know, ahead of us out of law school. Yeah. And of course, people said that's silly, of course. But there are those moments when you think, mm -hmm. but, but should I be doing something besides this? Mm -hmm. I look at the legislators. I look at um, Stacey Abrams, the mm -hmm. you know, very honorable Stacey Abrams, mm -hmm. who I think is our age or my mm -hmm. age, maybe. And I go, what am I doing? But I think you're right. That, that's such a great quote. I'm going to write that up on my board today. Mm -hmm. Because what I can also do is make the choice to say, what can I take from her experience or from his experience? Gosh. What can I do one thing, you know, to be more active in my community? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I work for the UN, so we are particularly apolitical, mm -hmm. but I can be an activist in other ways. I can mm -hmm. double down on my work at the United Nations to mm -hmm. show what, you know, the work that we do and to really say, you know what, it's important that we get engaged in our civic life mm -hmm. instead of saying, well, how come I'm not governor? How come I'm not running for this office? Right. Or I didn't leave my state legislature. That's crazy talk. Right. <laughs> you know, but we get, we do that. It's right there in we the back of my head. head. You should be doing this. You should be doing this. And you almost just have to just say, <laughs> like, no, mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, again, to be authentic is to, like you said, dispel those ideas because mm -hmm. that's not my authenticity. That's mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams' authenticity. That's mm -hmm. Barack Obama or Michelle Obama's authenticity. Mm -hmm. That's not mine. And right. my path is very different. My father had to remind me of that. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, talk about comparisons. Um, and I tell everyone this. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. Mm -hmm. My father's also from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in, in the Maryland area. I go back home and I have friends who never left Maryland, who, mm -hmm. you know, graduated high school. Well, am I supposed to compare myself to them too? No. Right? Again, right. it's not just comparing upward or to those people who you feel have achieved more. It's also mm -hmm. about saying, and let me not also mm -hmm. make the mistake yeah. of comparing myself. I'm so, you know, yeah. mm, right. look how much I've achieved right. and all of that. At so least I ain't, yeah. <laughs> I ain't that, you know? Right. But yeah, so it's about saying, truly being me means I don't compare right. myself to that or that. I compare mm -hmm. myself to where was I yesterday, mm -hmm. right? Where was, where do I want to be tomorrow? Can I grow from here to mm -hmm. tomorrow? And that sounds a little cliche, but I have to tell you, 
I, I'm finally getting to that point where I can really say that. Mm -hmm. I can compare, you know, is my daughter growing? You know, she's, I'm, we're looking at colleges and she's going mm -hmm. off to school in the fall. Did the work that we did three years ago with her get her to the place where she is? That's the comparison I want to be mm -hmm. making. Then versus now, not you versus right. me or, you know, or right. me versus him. Right. No more. Right. Because, you know, I, uh, that, that makes me think about a conversation I had with my youngest son, maybe about a year ago or so. But, you know, I have beat myself up a lot. You know, it, it's, it's ironic, you know, here I am trying to get other women not to beat themselves up. And, you know, I'm like Mike Tyson in my own way. You know? <laughs> so, but, you know, I've been through this really very retrospective and reflective period. I was divorced, what, three years ago now, almost three mm -hmm. years ago. And, you know, that, that is a grand opportunity <laughs> to really figure out who you are because sure. you are no longer this box you truly are in a whole new box and it's you have to make a decision you're going to kind of stay with your foot in the old box that's not yours are you truly going to embrace this new box so you know one of the things i've been doing is being very reflective and retrospective but in my low moments when the moments uh that I, i'm unable to remember this is all about the journey and getting to the the next place and and recognizing the next place is just the next place it's not better than or worse than it's just where you are on the journey but i had a conversation with my son and i was just i was so apologetic that i was not the mother he deserved and just because in my mind the mother he deserved was the mother that you know could go to work and do all my my things and then you know, have the, the, the meal cooked and have them in all the organizations and the activities. And somehow, because I hadn't done all these things in my mind, I had failed them as a mother. You know, that's, that's one of the, the, the tirades or rants I have every once in a while about why I'm not the mother my children deserve. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but I had that, I made that conversation and he's like, mom, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, he looked at me like I literally, you know, had, had just said something really crazy. He's like, what do you mean? We had a great life. Wow. And because and I was about to, you know, try to convince him that he didn't. And, and something right. made me stop and say, oh, right. well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. But, you know, <laughs> when we right. create these fantasies. Exactly. He didn't say really you. what I was doing. I'm sorry, I'm just saying, really what I was doing was comparing, comparing myself to two women who I greatly admire and hope to get them on the podcast in the future. But they are, one is, uh, both of them are, are, are homemakers, right? They don't work outside the home. And I love their children. They have perfect children, <laughs> you know, and they have these right. perfect lives. But I was comparing myself to them, but they have a different life than me. They've right. made different choices and that's cool. But go ahead. Right. I was just going to say, it's not like your son said to you, oh, mom, it's okay that you neglected us and this and that. He actually said to you, like, what world are you living in that, yeah, right. you think that we what didn't have it? a great life? Yeah, we had a great exactly. life. Exactly. Right. And I mean, I know for me, especially as my children get older, I think those conversations are important. And I think um, it's good to ask. You know, this is a new generation. Of course, our parents, I know my parents never asked me how I felt about their parenting yeah uh, you know like that was not yeah. going to happen they don't ask me today 
how I right. felt about their parenting. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. But I do think it's important to engage our children. We have these amazing, smart, wonderful children, um, and it's important to engage them. And to, you know, I don't think I need an evaluation from my children on my parenting, but I would like to hear how are things going for you? Yeah. Are I you doing happy. some things you want to do? Yeah. You know, you know, are you doing the activities that you like? Or mm -hmm. am I, you know, am I forcing you? Am I being all tiger mom and you have to yeah. take piano or violin? And, you know, maybe that's for you, maybe it isn't. But listening to our children and spending mm -hmm. time with them, I think, is so important. I can tell you, I mean, talking about your own story, in 2016, I mean, I myself was going through some mm -hmm. stuff, right? And was basically divorcing. Um, I moved out in 2017 into my mm -hmm. tiny little apartment that I'm in right now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I remember it being so difficult at that time. But for my children, what they wanted to know was that they would be loved, mm -hmm. that they would be cared for, mm -hmm. that they could still see their friends after school and on the weekends, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? that that's what they cared about mm -hmm. and here i am worried so much about oh my goodness what's going to happen and i've been through this twice i mean you talk about 21 years uh, i think i was married collectively for 19 years to two mm -hmm. people yes <laughs> so so you know i went through that issue twice mm -hmm. well what an embarrassment for me at the time oh here i am i'm a single black woman with two kids by two baby daddies and what's that gonna look like and what are people gonna think and all of that nonsense what my children mm -hmm. wanted to know was do they are they loved right do they have both their parents in their lives are they cared for do they get to have fun on the weekends and do they have structure right right oh yeah <laughs> right you know so like you said the other stuff is the fantasy that i create around my head but not around theirs yeah and and you know we could just when you when you talk about just the whole um you know, because deciding to divorce or whether it is decided for you, just that whole process, you know, it is, it is traumatic um, because it, you know, for, for obvious reasons. But I think a lot of times, I know for me, the concern or, or one of the issues was just kind of, well, what will people think now? I mean, who am I now? Mm -hmm. You know, because we had, uh, you know, this, we would call the 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 huxtables and because he's a physician i'm an attorney and we had created this image of this couple that was no more and i think we have to you know whether we're making the decision to marry to divorce whatever relationship decisions that we're making it has to be from the basis of what's best for us and not be so concerned about well what are other people going to think because again, I think that traps us a lot of times. And we, we, we make ourselves feel bad for making good decisions for us. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I think now I and both my ex-husbands are mm -hmm. probably happier than we've all ever been. Right. <laughs> so, right. And you know, one I have a very good relationship with, one, you know, I hope he enjoys his life but my children are happy. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I have a tiny little place. I moved from a big, huge, almost a mansion sized mm -hmm. house to this tiny little apartment. I couldn't be happier. Mm -hmm. you know, I, my children, my daughter loves being in an even smaller place because why? We get to be around each other. She gets yeah. to walk to school. She doesn't have to be driven. And right. I mean, even going back to the original part of our conversation about just the, you know, how do you put your life together? 
right? How do you, how do you have it all? Right. You, you make small choices, well, big choices, but also small choices. You know, my divorce led me to a place where I live somewhere where my daughter can come home from school for lunch every day mm-hmm. if she wants to do that. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to be driven across town, mm-hmm. you know, where my son has friends up the street here. He has friends over at his dad's. He mm-hmm. can, you know, rip and run and do what he wants to do. Who would have thought that out of such a traumatic situation would yeah. come little tiny yeah. things, but that for children are major issues. So that's what I, I like about mm-hmm. making decisions that are ultimately going to be for yeah. you and not about what, what will those people out there, you know, what mm-hmm. will they think? Yeah. No, they don't have to live this life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, we, we are approaching, approaching the hour. <laughs> oh, already. I know. Cause this is, it, this is one of the fantastic things about these conversations is like literally we could go on for hours but <laughs> but I, I do want to respect your time because yes. I know that you have other things to do than talk to <laughs> this is wonderful I could do this all day I'll be in the end very yes soon. <laughs> yes yes so but but one of the things that again that's important for these conversations is again that you feel something that you learn something and that you do something and before we transition over to the, the last segment, I want to, I hope that those of you who are listening or watching, you know, really one feel the empowerment of making decisions for yourself because Katrina has talked about, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, and really, you know, being comfortable in the decisions you make and making the best of the decisions, even when it may not be the best of situations. Okay. You know, so, so really feeling empowered by that. The thing that I hope you learned and Katrina, I'll give you an opportunity to share what you hope they've learned from this as well. But the thing that I hope you've learned is this, you know, vulnerability is empowering. It is not, um, disempowering. Is that the right word? You know, it it does not take power away from you it gives power to you. So embrace that because sometimes you are the most powerful when you have nothing to lose. And when you know that either way it goes, I'm not really going to lose. I can only gain. I hope you learn that it's important to be authentic in who you are and who you are is who you are. And you will never be comfortable in this world if you are anybody other than you, because as much as I'm inspired by Katrina, if I try to live Katrina's life, I am not going to be happy and vice versa. And, and the last thing that I hope you uh, learn is, you know, that it's not the only way. Your way is not the only way. Some other woman's way is not the only way. There is no only one way. There's no way. <laughs> there is not one way. <laughs> uh, and that's what living life in the end is all about is embracing uh, that. Now, in terms of do, you got to do something with what you learn. Be vulnerable. Um, be vulnerable. Choose your safe space. Choose your boardroom and go in there and make your case and be vulnerable and recognize that some people will receive it. Others may not, but it's your truth. It's your case. It's your position and you're worthy of advocating for it. And, and really think about what are the decisions that you need to make? that are going to really create that life you desire and deserve. So from everything you've learned and felt, make sure you do something. And Katrina, I'll just ask you, you know, what are some things you want them to learn, feel, and do? 
you know, what I want you to learn is learn about yourself. Ah, great. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to my new friends who are listening to this podcast, learn mm. about yourself, really spend time with yourself. For me, that's my exercise time. Mm. I'm not the fittest, right? I'm not the strongest, but that time when I have, when I'm running, when I'm playing tennis, when I'm, whatever I'm doing, lifting weights now, that's my new thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's time that I'm spending with me. Mm -hmm. getting to know me and what's important to me. So it's not about going out and reading a new book or, you know, figuring mm -hmm. out a new thing. Learn something about yourself. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, the most important thing. Um, now, what's my other one? I'm going to feel, do, feel and do. Oh, to feel. Oh, well, I think I'm going to repeat myself. Um, but, but feel the feelings. We used to say that when we, when we were younger. Feel the feelings. You know, um, I was not a crier. Mm -hmm. That's not my thing, but I realize how sensitive I am. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are times when I just have to cry. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are movies that I've watched that I've been like, uh, oh, I cried all the movies. I cry on commercials. Oh, no, no, no. I don't cry okay. at movies because movies are silly. And then I'm like, all of a sudden. <sighs> yeah. You know, but, but, but often that's coming from something else. Mm -hmm. That's bringing out a thing that I've been feeling mm -hmm. that now this, this little silly movie or TV show or radio podcast is allowing me to, to express. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing I've learned is if I don't feel those feelings, you know what, go ahead, sweat it out, you know, get nervous, you know, mm -hmm. and, and feel it because the feelings don't go away. They just internalize and, mm -hmm. and then we have stress. Mm -hmm. So feel the feelings. Um, and the thing to do, um, and this has got to be my shout out, Get yourself a group of people that you trust. If you have that group, honor them and spend time with them. Literally make the flight arrangement. Mm -hmm. Get the mm -hmm. calendar for your girls weekend or your, or your girls and guys weekend, mm -hmm. or if it's your spouse, whoever it is that you need around you to really be able to be that authentic self. My girlfriends, I have six of them all mm -hmm. from Hampton University freshman year. We have been best friends ever since, but they are the people who kept me going. Mm -hmm. in those moments when I was going, I don't know what I'm doing here, what, mm -hmm. you know, or in those moments when I went, oh my gosh, I just got this amazing opportunity. What, mm -hmm. you know, am I going to take it? So it's not just for the bad, but it's for the good. So the thing to do is get your posse, yeah. <laughs> get your group, get, get your, your crew, posse. right? Get your crew, honor that crew and be part of that crew, contribute to it and love those people because they're going to be the ones who keep you going um, in those moments when you're not sure if you can take that extra step. Um, and, 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 and I should say, you know, get your God, if that's your, if, if that's what you need, then reconnect, yeah, but, but right. do that. Like you said, don't just feel it. Don't just think about it. Do it really proactively do it. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, awesome. Of course, you know, this has been a great conversation and I knew that, it, that once we got going, I wasn't going to want to stop, but like I say, we've got to honor time and yes. you know, the living life in the and series is not only a quest for great conversation, but a quest to find out how women can have it all. And as I mentioned over the course of this series, I will interview a hundred women to have poignant conversations about how they are living their lives in the end. So it's a, it's a conversation and a quest for the Holy Grail. You know, what does a successful life mean to the modern day woman? That's really what I want to glean from all of these conversations. So this is a research project wearing a fabulous conversation. And so I will pose the same set of questions to each woman to understand her definition of success in her quest to be the CEO of her and in her journey to the C-suite. So 
at the end of all of this, I will go back and compile all of the answers and really give you an intimate look into what women want in their lives. So I'm going to pose the research question part of this to you. And there are 10 questions, no right or wrong answers, and you don't need to think too hard, but just really give your honest, uh, honest thought. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? All right. So here's the first question. What does femininity mean to you? Ooh. Oh, I am such a feminist. So, um, <laughs> femininity to me means, um, for me personally, it means being fully capable and able to be a woman, mm -hmm. to be sexy, mm -hmm. um, to be caring, mm -hmm. and to be strong. Mm -hmm. And for those things not to be in contradiction to each other. Okay. I think that's the best way I can say it, that it's okay. about, you know, you can be sexy and be strong and not have to be submissive. Right. You can be, you know, it's, it's about saying, I have the option of doing and being all of that. All right. So to all me, right. that's what femininity is to me. It's also having my toes done you know, painting. So yes. that's, that's nice. Um, you know, that, that, that's helpful too. So. All right. So you kind of uh, talked about or mentioned this. What does feminist mean to you? Yeah. Oh, it's the same thing. And it, being a feminist is um, being a person who cares a great deal about, um, about the advancement of women, about mm -hmm. women's equality, about women's rights, um, I mean, I, my organization that I work for is the UN organization that stands up for the rights of women and adolescent mm -hmm. girls. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's about saying I stand up for the rights of women and girls and for their right to be equal in our society, which is crazy because we're 51% of the society. So that, to me, it's about equality. Okay. And, and, and I don't think it's, well, you didn't ask me what it's not about. So it's about... <laughs> It's right. about equality and about standing up for the rights. If you are standing up for the rights of women and girls, then you're a feminist. Too. Okay. Well, and the third question is, do you perceive feminist as positive or negative? Oh, positive, positive, yeah. positive, positive. Okay. No question. Um, the word. You know, I, I think the, the negativity word. is mm -hmm. a backlash mm -hmm. to, you know, as they say, anytime you're, you're sharing power, that means somebody mm -hmm. else has to lose a little power. And I just think the negative perception of, of feminism is, is a backlash. I do not see it as being a negative in any way. Okay. All right. So what, now the fourth question is, what are the characteristics of a good woman? Ooh. Oh, a good woman is, is an authentic person, is a person who knows who she is, and is able to walk about the world um, in her own skin, being decent to other people. I guess the good part is she's decent to other people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what do, are the characteristics of a good mother? Mm. A good mother. I wish they meet. Um, but a good mother is a is a person who. Um, really just has a goal and tries to meet the goal of raising children who are decent human beings who can live their lives independently, you know, mm -hmm. to the extent that that's, that that's possible. 
Um, so, you know, I don't think it's about doing this activity or that one, but really raising your children to be decent, independent, um, law-abiding human beings. Okay. All right. What are the characteristics of a good leader? Ooh. Uh, I, I mean, I think I go to the classic definition is that a good leader is someone who can make good decisions based on impo uh, imperfect information. Okay. You know, a, a leader is someone who, and, and again, my, in my work in ethics, um, I really look to leadership as being the, or, or a leader as being the kind of person who does not have all the inputs, who does not have all of the background, but who tries to get as much information as possible and then is able to take decisions um, to give directions, um, and also to receive difficult information. Um, a lot of leaders, I think, maybe have a harder time doing the latter part about receiving diff difficult information. But a really good, effective, and ethical leader is one who can take all of that information, the good and the bad, and who can make good quality decisions um, with that information. Okay. All right. So what does it mean to have it all? <laughs> Oh, wow. Having it all, you know, this is hard because for me, it means, like I said, having a little bit of each category of it all. It's, okay. it is, it's the idea that you can live a full life, that your life can be balanced by those areas, in, in those areas that are important to you whether it's family, work, health, um, you know, uh, recreational activities, friends, that if whatever of those categories that are important to you, that you're able to enjoy something in each one of them. To me, that's having it all. It's not having it all in all categories. Okay, all right. And do you think women can have it all? Based on the definition I just gave around having some in every category, absolutely, okay. absolutely. But that's also a life issue. It doesn't mean that today I'm going to have it all. It means that in my life, in this year, I'm going to ensure that I take advantage of whatever I can to have you know, some of this and some of that. But, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to sit around and wait for it to happen to me. Okay. I literally, like I said, I have to make the flight arrangement to go and visit my friends, mm -hmm. right? I don't just say, wow, I wish I could see my friends. I have to, you know, take the day off and spend the day with my children or take a snow day and just decide we're going to hang out at home um, or go to Tanzania for, you know, mm -hmm. to go see my colleagues. Mm -hmm. So it's proactive. And I think if we're proactive, we can. Okay. What does fulfillment mean to you? Well, I think fulfillment is is having a lot of that all. <laughs> it's um and and it's living in the end, mm -hmm. right? It's 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 deciding that I'm not going to settle for or, it's deciding that I'm going to live with and, that mm -hmm. I'm going to be a mother and a wife and a daughter and a friend mm -hmm. and a lover mm -hmm. and this and that and tomorrow I'm going to try to be a runner. And, and, and the next day, a tennis player, you know, it's <laughs> fulfillment is that I have the freedom and I take advantage of that freedom to try new things and to be different things and for it all to be incorporated into my oneself. Okay. And the last question, what does a successful life mean to you? 
I mean, I think a successful life is a fulfilling one. Mm -hmm. As you said before, it's not your life or my life. You know, for me, my life is not yours. And for you, your life is not mine. But my definition of success is I have children who are independent, you know, well-meaning, decent human beings. I have work that is meaningful to me, um, that is fun to do. I have family and friends who are healthy and happy and are living their lives. And I myself get to have some fun and, you know, hang out and, you know, be around my people. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm really, really thrilled. I, I feel fulfilled and I feel successful right now. And it's taken a long time to get to that point. But, you know, we'll see what success means tomorrow. Okay. Well, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you know, I, again, just want to thank you so much for being here in the C-suite with me. I appreciate you. I appreciate your courage for saying what you did. I guess three years ago now, when you, when you stood up and said what many of us were thinking. And of course, I appreciate your courage for coming on here and talking about it uh, today. So thank you so much for joining me here in the C-suite. Thank you so much for being you, for being the CEO that you are. And I'm looking forward to, we'll, we'll have to catch a plane somewhere absolutely, <laughs> and continue absolutely. this conversation and really drink our wine. We absolutely. Drink I'm going to get my glass but, you know, Because there, there's so many great things that, that you touched upon. But I truly believe that there is power when women gather and there's power in our conversations, especially when our conversations make us feel something, learn something, and then we go and do something. So I just want to Thank you so much for being here with me in the C-suite and for everyone who is listening, um, I want you to, to share your thoughts about, you know, the great wisdom that Katrina dropped you know, in, in, in terms of her experiences, anything that she has inspired you to do. What did she inspire you? What did this conversation inspire you to feel learn and do we certainly want to want to hear from you so again thank you so much for being here with me in the c-suite the c-suite is where women create the lives they desire and deserve sometimes that literally means starting their own business sometimes that literally means getting in the c-suite but again whether you report to a ceo or you are the ceo of your own business you are always the CEO of you. So make sure you make those CEO moves. Make sure you feel something, learn something, and most of all, make sure you do something. Make sure you make those CEO moves. Create your circles of influence, educate and empower yourself for elevation, and operationalize what you learn so that you can optimize your outcome. So the power of the CEO, the power of the C-suite, is all in you because every day you have the power of choice, the power to make decisions. And I'll just say this briefly about decisions and why I love that. The root of that word is side, which means to kill off all other options. So when you make a decision, you are removing all options, but the one decision that gets you to the life, business, mm. career, love, whatever it is that you desire and deserve. So until next time, I want to just thank you for joining me here in Conversations from the C-Suite live with your girl, Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes. And here, of course, is where 
you get the girlfriend's guide to being a CEO. But remember, the power is not in the conversation, but in your CEO move. So don't just talk about it, be about it, baby. But remember, now is the right time to do what you need to do. Don't wait, wait broke the scale. Now is the best time to do what needs to be done. And finally, your life is a product of your choices. Choose to be the CEO of you. Choose to live your life in the end. I'm Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, and I look forward to seeing you the next time in the C-suite. Hello, I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Conversations from the C-Suite, the Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. I hope that you are ready to make CEO moves. Please be sure to let me know what made you feel something, what you learned, or what moved you to action. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on a great conversation. And of course, I'd love it if you would give me a rating and review and let me know about your experience in the C-Suite. I want this to be a great journey for you. Remember, your life is the product of your choices. Choose to be the CEO of you. Until next time.